That is an amazing privilege to be at peace with God. Can you imagine being at war with God? Because that's where we were. Being enemies with God, as, as we read and we will look at here in a little bit. Because we have peace with God, because that's what you have, that's what you're doing here. Secondly, you have access of grace. You're not just at peace with God, but you have access to God. You can actually walk in and meet with God. You don't need a priest. You don't need to rub the genie bottle three times or whatever, click your heels three times. You don't have to jump up and down or scratch yourself like the Baal worshippers did in the Old Testament. But through Christ, through faith, you have access to God. I read a story about a young child who wanted to go into Buckingham Palace, which is where the queen used to live and now is the king. But back then it used to be the queen and he wanted to go see her, but the guards wouldn't let him. And he just stood out there and cried and cried and cried and cried and cried. Nobody paid him attention until a then 20-year-old Prince Charles, who was now the king, saw the boy as he's walking past in the garden and said, hey, what do you want? And he says, I wanted to go see the king, I mean the queen. Charles said, okay, come on. He held his hand, walked him right into the palace to where the queen was, and he had access to her. He got to ask her a few questions. Maybe they had tea and crumpets, because that's what people do in England, right? Whatever. That's the kind of access Jesus gives you to the Father. That's what you're doing here, because you have access to God. So as a result, you can actually boast. Look at what he says in verse 3, in verse, uh, in verse 2. And we boast in hope of the glory. When you think of your life, when you reflect back in 2023, and when you look forward to 2024, you can expect, you can hope of the greatness of God to be revealed in your life. Because you've already seen it. Right? You, was once, you were once dead and now alive. You were lost and now you're found. You were once considered a sinner, now you're a saint. And then you can actually, really, in your real life, go back throughout your year and reflect back on all the things that passed through your life this past year. And how much God has shown His glory, His weightiness, His greatness in your life. And you can look forward and hope, and you can glory in that. Not only that, Paul says in verse 3, but we can also boast in our afflictions. You know, Christians are really strange people for the world. I mean, really think about it. Like Christians have things like this. I'm going to put it up there if, if this works. I think if, if this is not working, but 
they have something like this. Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials. What? Be happy when you have trials? That's a strange thing to say to somebody. And the Christians have this kind of writing in their holy, sacred scripture. In Acts chapter 4, verse 41 uh, the, the apostles are, are beaten and, and they're told not to ever say anything about the Lord Jesus to anybody. And look at what they say. So they went on their way from the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer. Rejoicing because they suffered. That's a strange thing to say. So Christians... When you reflect on your 2023 and you look at all the hardships, you know, the snake friends, you know, people that were following you one day and they blocked you the next day and you didn't know what they were doing on social media, called you out, hardships. Family problems, pressure from the world. By the way, this word for trial, it, it actually means pressure. It actually means to be crushed, to be oppressed even. Think of all of those things that happened for 2020, throughout 2023. All the things that have caused you anxiety, including the finals and the projects and bad grades, expectations your parents have on you. All of those things cause you to suffer. And Paul says here, we boast in them. We actually say, yeah, we can joyfully be glad about them. Why? Because Christians can have joy in suffering. They can boast in their tribulation because of what they know. You can actually... Boast in them and say, hey, look how weak I am. Look how much stuff was happening to me, but I'm still here. I'm still happy. I'm still joyful because of what you know. Not what you know theoretically, by the way. The, the Greek word that is used here is actually knowledge through experience. Right? Most of you can actually know how to drive a car and here. But there's only a few people that I'm looking at right now that actually know how to drive a car. You can know how to drive a car and you can know how to drive a car if you know what I mean, right? Like some of you would say, oh yeah, you get in a car and then you put your foot in the, on the brakes and then you put it in drive and then you steer and then that's it. And then you give a gas and you go forward. Great. Have you ever done it though? That's a whole nother thing. The word for knowledge that is used here is knowledge through experience. You have experienced God's goodness and God's commitment to your life even during suffering. You know God is present even though that you're going through things that are hard. You've experienced that. You've seen it. So because you know that, because you have that kind of knowledge, you can boast in your suffering. That you know 
what it is to be pressed, to, be, to feel like you're being squashed, to be harassed, to be oppressed, to be pressured, to pass through physical, emotional, and spiritual discomfort. But as a Christian, it has a different result than just complaining, wishing that you never was born, giving up hope. In fact, making a trip way, 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 way to, from wherever you are to Times Square so you can just burn that and just make it disappear in your mind. It's really not going anywhere. Because the people will go back home and they'll still have to deal with whatever they were dealing with. For Christians, this kind of suffering, this kind of pressure, this kind of harassment, this kind of oppression, this kind of emotional discomfort, and physical discomfort, spiritual discomfort, it results something that is completely different. Where there's anger and frustration and hatred, bitterness, malice are born in the unbeliever. But for the Christian, the, these kinds of pressures would actually bring about strength, endurance. That's what Paul tells us. We boast in our affliction knowing that our affliction brings about, it results in perseverance, endurance. Strength. That's what it brings about. You know that's what is happening to you as you're going through stuff. The pressure don't bust pipes for Christians. Pressure actually makes diamonds as a Christian. The result is your fitness to withstand stress. You're becoming more fit. Those of you know who go to the gym, Right? And maybe some of you have already committed to, to go to the gym or that's your New Year resolution. And that's what you're going to do when you go to the gym. You're going to put so much pressure on your muscles that when your muscles are put under so much pressure, they would eventually tear, but they're going to build back strong. And you're going to look buff. And you're going to be fit. That's what's happening. And that becomes your character. Just like somebody that goes to the gym over and over and over and over again, we call them gym bros, right? You know, whenever somebody, they don't have to tell you. Somebody can just walk in and you can know that person is fit, been to the gym. That just becomes who you are. And that's what Paul means. Perseverance produces proven character. And proven character then gives you hope. Then you can have an, ultimately a life that is full of glorious expectations. You can look forward to 2024. I don't care what 2024 has for me. I know my God is with me. I know I'm reconciled with God. I know I'm at peace with God. I'm justified. And whatever the pressure is, it's going to build me up, not tear me down. And that's going to be my character. I'm going to be even better by the time 2024, um, December 31st comes around. And Lord willing, we live in Lord Terry's and we have the same service like this. And we're going to be even, we're going to be reflecting back and seeing how 
how buff we got spiritually. But why though? Why would you have, if that is what we're doing here, reflecting back this, reflecting back on this reality? Why only us? Why only you? Why you? Especially considering what we're described as. Look at what Paul says we are, starting in verse 6. While we were still weak. I mean, we're described as being weak, as helpless, as ungodly, he calls us in verse 7. Or actually, end of verse 6. We're described as weak, helpless, ungodly, godless, unholy, sinners, lawbreakers, people who missed the mark, we're disobedient, we're described as enemies, that means that we are hostile to God and His Son and His people and His church. Really, that describes us. I mean, think of the year. How many times God has told you to do X and you did not X? How many times you've disobeyed God? How many times that you've spoken badly about Christ or not spoken at all about Christ when the opportunity presented himself? How many times have you spoken badly about his church? Can I, can I remind you of something, by the way? The church is the bride of Christ. Now imagine this illustration with me. You might say you love me, right? Manny, you're cool. You, I love you. Amazing guy. You preach good sermons. I'm just kind of hyping myself up here. Bear with me, right? But you know what? Your wife, though? Nah. She got this flaw. She got that flaw. She wears this kind of clothes, and she's like this, and she's like that. What do you think I would do to you? Or what do you think my attitude towards you would be like? That's what enmity means. That's, not only we're enemy with God, but we're enemy with His Son and with His Son's bride. That's how we're described. So as in light of how we're described, why would we so have the privilege to be considered at peace? Why would God have peace with his enemies? Do we twist his arm somewhere and somehow into making peace with us? Do we pay the fine? For us? No, Paul says. It's because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. It's because of God's divine love. Again, he repeats it in verse 8. God demonstrate his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
we have this reality. We can reflect in this way. We can look back in 2023 and be confident in knowing that even if tonight the Lord came back or he called you home, if your life ended tonight, you can inherit eternal life despite how you were in 2024, despite how you began a Bible study program and never, never finished it. Despite how many times you said, I was going to pray good, but you didn't. Despite how many times you say you're not going to slander that person, but you ended up slandering. Despite how many times you said, I'm not going to go to that website, and you went. Despite how many times you felt inadequate and of yourself, God loves you. That's why. You know this. John 3.16. It's up there. In case you don't remember. For God so loved the world. The emphasis there underlined mine. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's how much he loves. Paul again reminds us in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, after he told us we were dead in sin and trespasses, look at what he says, but God, being rich, listen to this, rich in mercy, because of his great love, not just because of his love, look how great God's love is. It's because of the greatness of God's love that you and I are sitting here and not being getting drunk out there or not just wasting our time away, but we're actually considering what is true, what is reality, what is really important, what we're investing into something that is not just going to end when your life ends or when this season in your life, when this phase in your life you call teenage years or whatever, young adult years, when this goes past and you look back and you're like, oh man, what was I thinking? When that passes, you're not going to regret this moment. And the reason you are afforded that is because of the greatness of God's love. This is not a normal kind of love, by the way, friends, that we can presume to know. Like, this is not, I mean, think of the, the one person in the world, like a real person, like Jesus is real too, but think of the person that, that you think loves you the most and shows you the most affection. And you, you know they love you, and you can define their love. This kind of love that we're talking about surpasses that. I mean, we can imagine it, we can fantasize about it, or think we have an idea what Christ's love for us is. But in reality, friends, we really don't know. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 3.19, the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. That's how he describes it. The love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And you are here tonight because God loves you. I mean, look, look what Paul is trying to compare it to. Look down with me to verse, chap, um, to, to, to verse 7. For one will hardly die for a righteous man. Right? If, if you find somebody that's innocent, has never done anything wrong, and then they, they are about to be killed, and they said, hey, do you want to take a bullet for them? 
you know, that's what bodyguards do every day. Think the president or whoever, they're, they're righteous. So they, they, they can take a bullet for them. Would you do that? Hardly, Paul says. Though perhaps for a good man, if a man was really, really good and he's been really good to you and he's paid you good for bodyguard's sakes, right? If that person is really, really good, someone would may dare. I mean, just out there. You can, you can fathom that. But that's if somebody, that somebody is really, really good to you. I mean, they've given you everything. But God's love is not like that. The way that he demonstrates it is to his enemies. I mean, on any given day, somebody can come up to you and say, would you die for your ops? You would say, nah, you can miss me with that. Right? Can you imagine that kind of love? That's what, that's what God did for you and I. That's why we're here. Because God loves you. The reason you're at peace with God is because He loves you. Not because you somehow force Him into loving you. The reason He gave you access to Him is because He loves you. Not because you bought your way in or you prayed your way in or you sang your way in into His presence. Because he loves you. And he loves you despite what you are to him. And that love has been lavished and imprinted in your heart by his spirit. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts. Listen to that language of pouring out. God, the infinite being who is love, is pouring his infinite love into your heart. How much love that is by his Holy Spirit. And because you know what that love is like, you're here to celebrate it. That's why you're here. How does that work then, Manny, you would say? That's a great question, Manny, to Manny. It works out. Because of the atoning death of Jesus Christ. Over and over and over again in this passage we see Paul going back to Christ dying for us. In verse 6, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8, God demonstrated his own love towards us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Again, in verse 9, much more than 
having now justified by his blood, that's his death, we shall be saved. Verse 10, for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. It's because Jesus, perfect son of God, the one who we praised and thanked for dying for us and taking our sin away. Like really, the sin that you're committing right now, Jesus paid for, friends. The sin that you thought is going to keep you out of heaven, Jesus paid for that already. He died for that sin, friends. He atoned for your life. He said, my life for his, my life for hers. He shed his blood on the cross. So what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians is not up there, so don't. Paul tells us that he made him, the God, the Father, made his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, no blemish, no sin, never looked at a bad sight, or never went and didn't pray when he said he was supposed to be praying, never missed a Bible reading plan, never, never did anything, never slandered anybody, never called anybody out of their name, never even thought to, about sinning. Forget actually sinning. He didn't even think about sinning. Now, he was tempted in every way. but still without sin. That's what the writer of Hebrews tells us about Jesus. That perfect, spotless person was made to be sin. He made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we can be the righteousness of God. He took his robe of perfection and put it on you. So when God sees you, He sees the perfection of His Son, Jesus. And He took your sin, and my sin, and the sin of the entirety of the world, who would believe in Him, He took all of that, and He put it on Himself. He dressed Himself up with our filth. Our ugly thoughts and deeds. And when God sees that, you know what he wants to do? He wants to punish it. He wants to annihilate it. He wants to pour out his wrath on it because God is so holy, the littlest unholiness defiles him. Think of a gallon of milk you pour out in a bowl, a big bowl, clean and white. Does it matter if I were to take a whole cup of food coloring or a little small drop of food coloring to spoil the purity of that milk? Does it matter? Even the slightest thing would spoil that milk's purity. You would know that it's tamed. 
So from the smallest thing to the biggest sin, it offends the holiness of God. And when God's holiness is offended, he tells us in Deuteronomy and again in Exodus and everywhere that we see in the, in the scriptures over and over again, he abhors and hates sin and he will punish sin. So when he looked at Christ on the cross, that's what he sees. And all of the rage that was due for your sin and my sin and my ugly thoughts and his ugly thoughts were poured out on Jesus. Meanwhile, you and I get the benefit. Then he would look at me and say, man, you're perfect. I know I'm not perfect. But you are, Manny. How am I perfect? How am I able to enjoy this kind of service and call you brothers and sisters? And then we're going to actually not just do this in 2023. We're going to do this for eternity. Time is not even going to be a, an issue for us. How? Who should I pay? Who should I have pray for me? Who should, what, what, what pastor, what prophet, what, 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 what should I, where should I go to, to do this? Tell me, how? God says, it's through faith in Christ. We're justified by faith. We're introduced to God by faith. Verse 2. We're reconciled by faith. All we had to do. All you have to do is trust in Him. All you had to do in 2023, all you would have to do in 2024 and the rest of your life is put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what you have to do. But how do I know? How, how, am I, how do I actually get convinced? Don't worry. You don't have to worry about that part. Your part is to trust in Jesus. The Holy Spirit who is given to you when you trust in Jesus will apply that faith to your heart, would convict you, would walk with you, would be with you, would strengthen you, would empower you, would conform you into the image of Jesus himself. So how do we get this? It's through faith in Christ and through the Holy Spirit. So there is divine activity that is happening, which we can't comprehend fully because we're not divine. And yet there is a responsibility on your part and on my part to trust in Him. So as you think through 
what 2023 has done to you or how good 2023 was or as you look forward and you're like i'm so excited to start my 2024 yes this is what i'm going to do trust in jesus to see you through 2023 not just in your own ability in fact statistics shows second friday of january is when most Americans start dropping out of their New Year's resolutions. Second Friday, I'm not discouraging you, by the way, if you are here and you're making New Year's uh, resolutions, not revolutions, (laughs) by all means, go for it. I have some that I'm thinking through. I still got time. myself but statistics shows that most people try to do that by their own strength and then they eventually fall out of pace by the second week of January trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit will empower you give you hope And give you the confidence. So because of what we know. And what we believe to be true. Because of why. We get to enjoy this privilege. And because we know how. We receive this gift. This becomes a source of joy and confidence that you can go and live out in 2023, 2024, 2025, as many years as the Lord would afford you with confidence in this truth and in this love. But not only for you, but you can go out and actually invite others to be part of this wonderful reality, telling them about Jesus, how much God loves them, how much God wants to make peace with them. He's already made peace. All they have to do is believe and receive this grace through the Holy Spirit. If you have never done so, kind of hesitant, you're not a Christian, this is the good news you've been waiting for. Put your faith in Christ. Receive the love through the Spirit and enjoy this possession of eternal life and receive this new year. Use this opportunity Use this time as you look forward to this new year to strengthen your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and to be empowered by His Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that you have blessed our time together by showing us your faithfulness throughout the year, by giving us a word, by leading us to 
praise you and responding in song of adoration to you. And now we are grateful that you have taught us and convicted us and encouraged us and called us to know what we're doing, why we're doing it, and how we are so privileged in doing so. So Lord, we ask that you would apply this truth and this reality to each heart that is in this place. Be with us the remainder of the night as we look forward to receive this new year. Glorify you, we honor you. We ask and trust that you would do this for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.